0: have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, you should find one there in the seat in front of you, and so if you're using that version, it's on page uh, 978, right there at the bottom. And if you don't have a a Bible, we want to encourage you, once again, we have a resource center uh, there in the back, and along this uh, west wall, uh, we have uh, a stack uh, several stacks, uh, even, of Bibles, and so please take one home, uh, that, is, that is our gift to you, uh, if you or a family member uh, doesn't have a Bible, uh, we would love to, uh, to give you God's Word, it's an incredible uh, blessing and uh, richness in our lives and faith, and so, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 22 through 33, uh, perhaps it's best to just uh, start by, by reading uh, the entire passage. So Ephesians 5, 22, the word of the Lord says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is it is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am talking, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects Well, as we uh, jump into this passage, I I think that this is uh, important that we would frame out this conversation first. This passage, like uh, so many in scripture, has uh, often been skipped over or or passed and tucked away uh, or even elevated in. Abusive or unhealthy ways. And so, uh, one beauty of uh, expositional preaching, that is, uh, the way that we preach scripture here at the church at West Creek, we move through entire books, through entire chapters, entire verses, not uh, choosing uh, here or there what we just want to talk about, uh, but rather seeing the the full uh, beauty and richness of God's word. Uh, What this means is that we don't get to skip uh, what can be at times difficult or uncomfortable passages. But we are declaring as God declares that Christ speaks to everything. That we don't get to choose uh, which aspects of our lives Christ is Lord over. We don't get to choose uh, which topics we get to care about. uh, But instead, Christ is the one uh, who lays this out before us. It also means that there is a need for nuance. That is that there is often, especially in this passage and others like it, a a volatility and abuse through its distortion. When we distort what scripture has said on uh, marriage or gender or sexuality, these sinful expressions creep in and are excused or dismissed in the context of the church. We need the full context of scripture. Not not piecemeal interpretations or the hobby horses of of some who would choose to to have selective hearing about the gospel or God's word. All right, you know how selective hearing works, right? It's the uh, we we hear what we want to hear. Someone says, uh, "Hey, I need you to to do this hard thing, and if you do this hard thing, then you can have this nice reward." And you say. You just said, I oh, I could have the nice reward, right? That's, we miss the hard thing, the selective hearing. And, and we, at times, are, are guilty of applying this uh, to God's word. Uh, but this is uh, not how it should be. And so instead, uh, we want to, to approach this in the context of Scripture, the, the fullness of Scripture, uh, to, to give it the, the nuance of, of not uh, what we want it to say, but rather what Christ does say. Another helpful thing as we look to this conversation is going back uh, even to the the Old Testament passage that we read uh, from Genesis chapter 1. And that is that we, men and women, married and single, that every person on this earth bears the image of God. That is, we are, are bearers of the image of God. That means that there is a biblical instruction on what marriage is, on what gender is on what sexuality is. And that in this instruction, there is not an ordering of value. Meaning that men are made in the image of God. They are not less than. That women are made in the image of God, and they are not less than. That those who are confused about being a man or a woman is made in the image of God, and they are not less than. That people who work in... And occupations and jobs and places and live in parts of the world that we don't approve of or dismiss or hate are made in the image of God and that they are not less than. So, as we affirm the fullness of the image of God in every individual, we are not devaluing either male nor female, single nor married person in every place, bearing the fullness of their creation. And so what is the image of God? As we look from Genesis to Revelation, it is that we embody, we are made after the creator in several ways. The very first one is that there is a a structure to humanity. That the image of God is something that sets us apart from the other animals. As we read, uh, that day six that he created the living creatures, those creeping things, the beasts of the earth, and then he created man. And they are not the same, even though they come on the same day, but there is something about the image of God which sets apart our structure. Our our being, whether it's our moral standing, our ability to to reason or care for another, to to create music or or poetry, these beautiful aspects of, of humanity that we can often dismiss that there is a structure that makes us the unique image of God. Secondly, that there is a unique relationship about being in the image of God. Our ability to relate to one another, but also especially that we have the ability to relate to God himself. That he receives the worship of all creation, but he desires the worship of those made in his image. And then finally, the image of God is something that plays itself out in function. Our purpose is that we would embody and relate and convey the will and purpose of God in the world. That we are his ambassadors. As those who are sent out and commissioned into the world, we reflect God to them. Not building ourselves up as God's ourselves, but rather reflecting him and his character, his nature, his authority. This is how we frame the conversation. We want to walk through this delicately, with nuance. We want to do so in ways that affirm and uphold the image of God in all persons. So let's turn to the text. The very first thing that we see in verses 22 through 28 is a Christ-like submission. But there's one thing that I think we can miss if we start in verse 22. And again, this is why we exposit scripture, not picking, picking topics or, or verses at, at random, but instead moving through God's word. And so that's actually what we see in verse 21, going back to, to what Pastor Steve preached last week when it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That this is actually where we get the word submit, the way that Paul has structured this sentence In the Greek, it's actually repeating and building on what was already established there. So Paul says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 22, he expounds, he says, wives, do this, referencing back to verse 21, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so he said that there is a Christ-like submission, in particular here to wives, but going back to verse 21, also extended to all people, all believers, that we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a call for all and extended to, to women as framing the family, that this submission is one which is mutual and willing, not something as the, the, nude for, the need for nuance, I'm going to have to trip on that a little bit, but the need for nuance would say uh, that we would use this abusively. To, to say to our wives, you need to submit to me because scripture says this. And in ways which present our will as the will of God. This is not the Christ-like submission that we see in Ephesians 5. Instead, submission here is rooted in submission to the Lord. Another way that we see Christ has called us to submission is in Romans chapter 13. When he calls us to submit to governing authorities know if the, the founders of our nation necessarily just kind of ripped that out of their Bibles or we, we can look at that later, but uh, the, the submission here, we know, is not without bounds. It, it's not without uh, framing in submission to the Lord. It's not that we would follow our government or obey our government uh, no matter what it says, but as we see in Acts chapter four, as Peter and John are walking through the streets preaching the gospel, uh, they're arrested and they're charged. You cannot. By order of the government, preach the gospel. What do they say? They say, whether it is fitting to you to to say this or or not, we, we can't do anything else. Why? Because God has commanded us to do this. And this doesn't mean that scripture is at odds with each other, but rather there is a proper ordering. That our submission to the Lord would trump any submission to any other authority. And so wives are, are not to submit in everything in a way that is blindly following a husband, but rather is yielding to him in the Lord, right? We know yielding is, uh, if you're gonna merge onto 480, it's not that we just say, all right, everyone, good luck. I'm gonna floor it and, and go. But that, that little triangle sign, or at least it's supposed to, uh, means that you look to the other traffic. Who has the right of way? Who well, is was moving in these ways first so that there isn't a collision. And so in marriage, this yielding the submission here. This is a, a Christ-like submission, one which yields to the other. And again, it's, it's made explicitly here uh, to, to wives, uh, but at the same time, it also applies to husbands. Uh, we can look at this, this passage and divorce it from the rest of scripture and see, okay, here are the, the two things that we see about husbands and wives is that wives submit to husbands and husbands love wives. Therefore, if these are the gender roles that are carved out, ladies, congratulations, you do not have to love your husbands. Why? Why? Because we just said, well, that, no, wives only submit, husbands love. Husbands don't submit, you only have to love. No, rather we see that these are, are good things that we see in the Lord. It, is that there is an ordering here of, of uh, authority and culpability that in the same way that uh, is tied here to, to Christ, that there is a Christ-like submission and a Christ-like sacrifice. That the headship here is, he says, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body is itself its savior. That here is the, the order, not of, of lordship, but of, of leadership. Of, of caring for our, our wives and our families in these ways, uh, that is leading as Christ has led the church, has sacrificed himself for the church. That as we see that Jesus is is the head of the family of God, this sacrificial love that comes out is so to be demonstrated in our marriages. That as we follow Christ, we look to him as the head, that we would imitate him, men and husbands, in loving our wives. Because this is the, the culpability. This is the one who gives account. Looking back to, to Genesis, when Adam and Eve took the fruit, we can look at it and see that Eve was the one who deceived, who, who was deceived rather, and yet, who did God take up the blame? Who, who, looking at, at Romans, it was Adam who, who sinned, it was Adam who who bore this. Why? Because Adam was the one charged and taught first not to touch this fruit. That as we lead here, as this marriage is a picture of submission and sacrifice, it means that there is no place, husbands, for harsh speech, for overly domineering insistence on our will, our opinion, or our way. But we must. Listen to what John Chrysostom says of this. I, I think this can be a, a rebuke in the, the other extreme. As, as we have and, and do use this passage to, to excuse abuse and just say, well, you need to submit to your husband no matter what. We see it reshaped and reframed back to the biblical in John Chrysostom's words. He says, have you noted the measure of obedience? Pay attention to love's high standard. If you take the premise that your wife should submit to you as the church submits to Christ, then you should also take The same kind of careful and sacrificial thought for her that Christ takes for the church. Even if you must offer your own life, you must not refuse. Even if you must undergo countless struggles on her behalf and have all kinds of things to endure and suffer, you must not refuse. Even if you suffer all of this, you still have not done as much as Christ has done for the church. For you were already married when you act this way, but Christ is acting for one who is rejected and hated. So as he, when she was rejecting and and spurning and hating and nagging, he brought her to trust him by his great solicitude. Not by threatening, not by lording it over her or intimidating her or anything like that. And so you must also act toward your wife. See, the the picture and instruction that we have here as, as husbands and wives, as we elevate what marriage is and what it is not, is a sermon to the world. We, we are declaring before God and man what marriage is. This is as God has created it. This is what he has made it to be. It's declaring the beauty and unity that we have in Christ. Notice the, the context which Paul is writing this. Paul isn't writing this uh, as just saying, well, you know, and uh, I don't know, well, 2,000 years, there'll be a church on the other side of the, the world that's going to uh, receive the primary instruction of this. Though that's true in the, the sense that we are still receiving the benefit of scripture, we are still receiving the, the intent of God's word to go out to every culture and every place and have authority over all peoples, but we also recognize that Paul wrote this in a specific context. That is, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. This is a church in the middle of Rome. That in Rome there was a, a patriarchy of uh, a standard of male ownership. That women in Rome were not even considered fully human. And yet, this so stands against the biblical worldview that we see in Genesis that man and women are made in the image of God. That they are created, and at the end of day six, he says, and it was good. That creation here is one of beauty and unity. So as Paul is addressing this patriarchy of male ownership, he is speaking in a way that is radically countercultural. The very fact that he even mentions wives stands against every other writing that we have of household codes there in Rome. In Rome, they would say, all right, husbands, this is what you're to do. This is your right. This is your ownership of your wife and of your children and all of these different things. And where does Paul start? He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That he's carving out this unity that's here that is the gospel transforms every aspect of our life. The gospel transforms the way that we look at marriage. The gospel transforms the way that we look at singleness. The gospel transformed the way that we look at at maleness and femaleness, uh, of gender, of sexuality, of what God has designed in this world. Why? Not because it is counterintuitive or countercultural for the sake of it. It's not that we just reject these things, but rather we are returning to the original design of God. This This is including this emphasis of the unity before God. That he quotes again from Genesis and says uh, that this is the reason for a husband should leave his father and mother. That we should cling to his spouse. That the two shall become one. In the same way, this is looking to the, the, the beauty and picture of the gospel. Is, is that Christ desires that we would be one as he and the father are one. That we as the church are invited into this. Picture and understand the way that God functions and works in this world. All right? You've you've been in that place where uh, we're, we're given instructions to do something. Maybe it's building a uh, you know a desk, a, a drawers, or whatever it is. The uh, instructions come. You've gone to IKEA. You ordered it online, and, and here they arrive. And and you say, do, do these descriptions even go with the piece that I ordered? There there is so much confusion. There's so much statement, and, and yet we've also had that that beautiful picture of instructions, where not only is everything written clearly, and labeled, and spelled out, but there are pictures, right, that's the best kind of book, right, are the books with pictures, and so we see these instructions, it lays it out, and it says, all right, you're going to connect point A to point B, and this is what that looks like, and after that, you're going to assemble this, and you're going to put these screws here, and you're going to put these together, and watch this, and this is what This is exactly what God is doing in the world. Not only is he giving us his word and saying, listen, this is my instruction for the people of God. This is what it looks like to walk in communion with me. This is what it looks like to live out that image of God. This is what it looks like in our structure. This is what it looks like in our relationships. This is what it looks like in the function. But even on on a greater scale, he says, not just the words, but I'm giving you a picture. I'm going to show the world exactly how this works together this in marriage that he says the way that a, a, a person loves their spouse is supposed to represent to, to show as a, a picture to the world the way that Christ loves his church not as any husband loves his wife not as any wife submits their husband but specifically those who are doing so as is fitting That this picture of Christ-like submission, of Christ-like sacrifice, reveals to the world Christ-like salvation. So as, as we love our spouses, as we submit to one another, we declare to the world that a wedding is coming. That a a greater marriage is coming. A greater hope is coming. And it's of Christ to his church. Because you may be sitting here and and maybe you've already kind of passed this off and said, I'm not married. What does this have to do with me? And Paul sees you. Christ sees you. And he says, and this this mystery is profound, but I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. That if you are not married... And if you were never married, you have innate value and dignity before the Lord. And that you are able to take part in this. Of Christ and his bride. That Christ is modeling marriage out of love for the church. And we imitate him in every relationship, married or single. Because this is what we see of Christ and his church. The very first thing is that Christ loves his church. How does he say that husbands should love the church or love their wives? He says they should love because Christ has loved the church. Christ has loved the church and therefore gave himself up for her. That it was love for the church that led to Christ's sacrifice. Despite our sin, despite our rejection, despite our fallenness, that Christ has died for us because us. So it leads to the question, do you love the church like Christ does? I think it's popular in our, in our culture to, to not see that Christ demonstrated his love, not see that the Christ has restored the church to, to God, but instead we see, I like, I like Jesus. I hate the church. Why? Because the church has wronged me. The church ha- is full of hypocrites. The church doesn't live this out. And if we, we come to Jesus and we say, hey, I, I love the church, or I'm sorry, I love you, but I, I don't want anything to do with this church. We, we don't understand, one, that we're rejecting ourselves, that this is what God, God has, has called us to be a part of, that Christ has, has come to, as bride to the church. But also to say that we hate the thing that he loves. How, how offensive would it be to, to say to anyone, I, I love you. Let's get dinner, but don't you dare bring your spouse. I hate them. And yet this is exactly what we do to Christ. When we devalue or or refuse or spit on the church, we reject the thing that he loves. Let me put it in in another another way that uh, will be fitting for the season. Uh, Even if if this isn't you, uh, that's fine. But on, on Thursday, here in Cleveland, right at the lake, we have the NFL draft. And so I know many of you are excited about this. You've been thinking about it nonstop. And others of you said, is it football season yet? Is it not? I don't know. Uh, and that's that's fine. But how foolish would it be if, if we say, as, as a Browns fan, I love the offseason. I love tracking every free agent move and trade and looking at the draft and looking at the combine and saying, hey, these are the players that we could get. We could trade, we could do this, we could do that. I'm going to watch interviews, and I'm, I'm just going to listen uh, to sports radio and, and ESPN. I'm going to read everything, and everything that I can consume, I will. But I hate, I hate the games. I, I hate actually watching football. This, is, this stuff is exciting, right? This is like business moves and acquisition. But I don't really care for, for the playoffs. I don't really care about the Super Bowl. We, we never play a game again, and that would be great what if the Browns were convinced of that? They said, hey, you know what? This guy's on to something. This this off-season stuff, this is fun. The draft is a blast. We we can acquire. Why do we even have to play the games? We could get hurt. But we miss the purpose of the NFL. It's not that we would draft. It's not that we would sign free agents. It's not that we would build a team for the sake of building a team. But it's that they would play football games, that the, the Cleveland Indians would play baseball games, that the Cleveland Cavaliers would play basketball games. That'd be foolish to expect them to do otherwise. And yet we see that Christ has loved the church, has called the church. And, and we can get so excited and, and built into to theology and, and building up and, and looking at all these, these aspects, picking and choosing. We never live out what Christ has called us to. We don't love the church as he has loved the church. We don't give ourselves up and demonstrate our our love in the world. We don't share the gospel. We we never move onto the field. Christ loved the church in such a way that he demonstrated that love. That he, he went to the field. He went to the cross. He laid it all out. Restores us, redeems us before God the Father. That this is the the second purpose of this is that Christ has loved the church and therefore he has sanctified the church. It's just a big word that means he made us holy. That he, he restores us to God. That Christ loved the church, verse 25, gave himself up for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he would present the church to himself with sp- without splendor, or in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Right? This is a, a picture that we, we see, we know, of the bride on her wedding day. Right, It's not just any old dress that you pull out of the closet. It's not just, well, I guess this will work. No, instead, we we make a big deal out of it. Christ makes a big deal out of it. That to, to bring before his bride here at the wedding, here at this incredible celebration that we see in Revelation, is that he wants to make her beautiful. That Christ has invited us into glory. That he has drawn us to himself, not in excusing our sin, but washing it away. We are only in Christ to the degree that we are members of his bride. That we join in the church and therefore are, are presented before Christ in that day. The, the consummation and, and hope, the anticipation of, of looking toward this wedding day and say, This is the day where I get to be with Christ. Christ has loved us in such a way that He has made us holy. We say once again, I I love Jesus. I'll I'll love the church. But I don't like this holiness thing. It seems seems a little self-righteous. I don't want to really change the way that I I live during the week. I I still want to do these things and go these places and, and live how I want yet Christ has called us to live in holiness, to, to be washed by the word, to live without spot or wrinkle, knowing that we still stumble, knowing that we're not perfect, not until we're restored finally on that day, but seeing the, the fullness ahead of us. So often we view church as a bumper sticker. It's something that we slap on our lives go beside alumni or fan club or honor roll or, or whatever else we're putting there on the back of the car that we say this is a part of who I am. This is what I value. This is what I do. And church is there. Christianity, right? We put the Christian fish or the uh, bumper stick or whatever, whatever it is. Church is, is not meant to be another accessory in life. Your faith is not meant to be another accessory uh, on the bumper of your life. No, our faith that the church is the vehicle. That this is how God has chosen to work in the world. This is how He has chosen to reveal His love, is through the church. And so we have the same love, the same regard for holiness. And this is how it lives out finally that the Christ cherishes the church. He says that we should love our wives as our own bodies. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but instead nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. This nourishment and, and care that, that Christ has, has fed and protected his church. Right. If, if you know anything about health, right, it, it's not that, oh, I want to get healthy. Okay, let, let's go to the candy store. Let's go to BA Sweeties and, and see my new diet. No, instead we, we recognize, oh, no, I need to, I need to eat a vegetable. I need to look up what that is, and then I need to eat it. I I need to eat well. I need to rest well. I need to work well. I need to care for my body. So it is with the church. How are we consuming the things? Are are we consuming uh, the equivalent of of sugar? Are we looking to good food? How are we spending our time? How are we spending our rest? How are we spending our work? Are we caring well for our spiritual bodies in the same way that we care for our physical ones? There's not going to be this dentist checkup, where if we say, "Ah, I'm flossing. I I can't look into your heart and and see the cavities that are there, but Christ can. Christ has has called us to be nourished and cherished and cared for, not in ways that rely on our strength. You say, "Ah, I can't do that. You're right. But Jesus wants to do it for you. Jesus wants to nourish you. Jesus wants to cherish you. Jesus wants to make you like himself. And as he does that, we mirror the love of Christ in every relationship that we occupy. That means if that you are married, love your spouse like Christ loves his church. Submit to one another. Care for one another. Elevate the unity and beauty of the world looking on and saying, this is what Christ does in a marriage. And if you're single, live in that way. Live in a way that is holding out for the hope and expectation of a marriage with Christ. Serve him now in greater and greater ways as 1 Corinthians 7 says. That we're not limited in the same way when we are single than we are married. And that Christ can use you in greater and greater ways for the service of his kingdom. Love the church. Grow in holiness. Cherish one another. Love for one another. Care for one another. Father, we thank you for who you are, Lord, for the incredible, Lord, salvation that we have in Christ. Lord, not on our own holiness, not in our own merits, not in our own goodness, but Lord, in Christ's death. Lord Jesus, that you went to a cross out of love for us who hated and rejected and despised you. Lord, that you drew us to... That even now, today, on this on your throne, you are cherishing us and nourishing us and drawing us to you and longing for the day, Lord, that we will be with you finally. Father, show us how to imitate you. Lord, show us the, the fullness and let us love one another. Lord, let us love the church as you have loved the church. Father, all of these things.